Hello, everybody, and welcome to Surf Break, your unofficial San Diego Wildlife podcast that is officially your favorite. I'm joined by my co-host, Jamie Bacon. Oh, you normally call me your favorite slice. I got a little uh, distracted there. Well, I apologize, but um, I just want to kind of preface this episode by saying we're going to start with some very challenging topics related to um, some very serious issues involving sexual assaults, uh, abusive behavior, and um, things of that ilk. So if that that is troubling for you, then I completely understand if you don't want to go through this episode. Um, we'll see you next week. Um, but uh, we do have to talk about what has occurred in the women's soccer landscape in the United States. And that is the landmark Yates report, which came out on either Sunday evening or Monday morning, which detailed uh, in, in very great detail the, the length of abuse um, that occurred in NWSL for a long period of time uh, from the beginning of the league till around 2020, 2019. Um, this culminates a process that began on September 30th, 2021, where the Athletic published an article regarding Paul Riley of the Portland Thorns, accusing him of very serious misconduct of a sexual nature. Um, then the U.S. Soccer Federation commissioned uh, the Yates um, law firm to conduct a full investigation. Those findings have become public uh, in this uh, this report. Uh, they detail incredible, um, horrible things uh, that these players went through, um, including sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, it is a massive investigation. 200 players were involved, uh, multiple front office members, um, also uh, U.S. soccer uh, staff and, and, and coaching staffs and front office staffs from select organizations involved as well. Um, the main kind of focuses in this are Christy Holly and Louisville FC, Paul Riley and the Portland Thorns, and Rory Dames and the Chicago Red Stars. Um, there have been some discussions about uh, the club's involvement with this report, um, where the report made it very clear that certain clubs either interfered with um, with evidence or, and witnesses or straight up refused to participate. But regardless, the report makes for a very difficult reading. Um, I, I, I don't know where to begin with this because it is truly a damning report of systemic, just absolute abuse and in turning a blind eye to that abuse. And I think that's, that's incredibly frustrating to begin with. Yeah. I've, I had a lot going on earlier in the week and I knew I wanted to have my, my family was in town. I wanted to have a good time with them and I knew it wasn't the right time to dive into that and put myself through that kind of uh, mental torture uh, per se. Um, I'm only through the Riley part of the report and it is tough reading. It is very tough reading. And if, if any of you want to dive into it, I do suggest that you have, you're in a good spot in your life to be able to do it because it is really hard to get through. Um, I don't want to say I encourage drinking, but it kind of helped to have a, a little drink with me last night while I was reading that. And, and, uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it so that I can watch the the documentary that ESPN dropped, the E60. Um, I've heard really great things about about how that was put out and produced, and uh, yeah, it's it's mind blowing and and honestly not surprising. I mean, if you look at the way that. Um, women's sports and women in general have been treated historically in the United States. It's not shocking 
that men and women in authority were able to get away with things for so long because of the position they held or the their winning nature. You know, uh, a lot of these coaches were very winning coaches. So it's easy for higher ups to look past a complaint here, a complaint there, and, you know, maybe blame the player. Um, very much Wilkinson saying, that a player put Riley in a bad position type of thing when Riley put Riley in a bad position. So it's not shocking. Um, It should be, but it's not shocking. And that's probably one of the most heartbreaking parts of it. I think the the two prongs of, of the report that I, I find to be the most disturbing and the most difficult uh, is, is the first prong is mentioned in the executive summary, which, um, if you don't want to read every single individual account, it, the executive summary does a very good job of summarizing what they find. Um, it, I would say if, if you don't want to engage with the full report, just the executive summary section is is a good way to engage with it in a way that is maybe less painful. Um, what they found was that a lot of these players, in terms of the verbal abuse side, a lot of them knew that the sexual abuse side was wrong, obviously. Um but a lot of them didn't understand that what they were suffering from was abuse because they had been trained since they were kids to accept this as, as this is part of the system. This is what you endure in order to be a professional player, you know? And I think that really hurts in a lot of ways that, you know, these are people that just, you know, are being abused, but just can't process the concept that they're being abused because this is all they've known and they've known it from the youth level. And that, that speaks to me of, you know, just a a system that is fundamentally broken I mean, the other the other prong for me, and I, I think, you know, the Paul Riley stuff is incredibly challenging, but the Christy Holly section is troubling in the sense that, you know, these are people that are predators, but know that because the margins of women's soccer, especially, um, are so thin that they can needle their way in to these systems and can then allow that system to feed their predatory behavior. They know that they're preying on these thin margins. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you look at the report and it talks a lot about reporting. It talks about how there was, and in the E60 documentary, not to spoil it for you, but I think you know, you know the subject of what it's on. Um, Alex Morgan says, you know, when, when Shim came to her about what was going on, you know, Alex Morgan, of course, you know, one of the beacon players of U.S. soccer in general, you know, she's talking about how they didn't they didn't know how to report this because there was nothing. There was no player handbook. There was no, hey, we can, you know, cite this rule that indicates that this is inappropriate workplace behavior. There was there was nothing for them. And it was, um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll quote the documentary. I know you haven't seen it yet, Jamie. But, you know, there was this sense and the documentary does a very good job in its prologue of kind of explaining how the conditions were that allowed for this, these these people to enter into the league and and get away with what they did because you know it's Neil Galati says it himself he says you know at like tech startups you know we treated it like a tech startup you don't always have all the resources and that's I mean that's fine if it's a startup business right where you're dealing with you know manufacturing a product that that's fine I get it but we're dealing with human beings here and that like how that wasn't the very first conversation you had which was how do we protect our players you know in the beginning of creation of the NWSL, it, it, it boggles the mind. Like, how does the, how did this not come to the forefront of your thoughts? I mean, the fact that it took, you know, articles in the athletic and the, this investigation, uh, 
you know, from the start of the league all the way up until, what was it, 2021, to put, like, a anti-harassment policy in place. How was that not, like, a day one, even if you're a startup business? Like, do you think people go into any type of business and do not have this kind of thing in place, like anti-harassment, uh, go through sexual harassment training, just any of that in any company, it could be a company of five people and they're going to have something in place. The fact that you're dealing with hundreds and honestly thousands, when you, you, you look at, you know, staffers and everything, it's insane to me that it took that long for a league to start putting policies in place to actually protect human beings. And it's, it's one thing to think that, you know, Oh, you know what? Plucky NWSL, this very bohemian lifestyle where, you know, they were like trying to find office space and look at how successful they've become now. You know, that's a, that's a great story. But the fact of the matter is, as I agree with you, Jamie, how did they not have this from the first day? Did, did no one look at the room and say, Hey guys, maybe we should also have something in place before we start the season. I think the other thing that, that, I, I get frustrated with on a meta level is, you know, reading the accounts of what uh, Paul Riley, uh, Christy Holly, and, and Roy Names did. I, I want to look them in the eye and say, where does your humanity begin? Because I understand that, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I get it. But where does their humanity begin? Where do you start to understand that what you're doing is incredibly just disgusting? You know, like, how do you allow yourself to conduct yourself in this way? You know, it, it's, it blows my mind with situations like this where just people can be that cruel and that just coercive and not have a shred of idea that they're doing it. You know, it, 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 it breaks my heart and it, it breaks my heart because we've failed a lot of athletes. 200 interviews were conducted over 200 interviews were conducted for this piece. You know, the voices that we hear in this piece in terms of those that spoke out, you know, uh, Sinead, uh, Farrelly, Shim, et cetera. Think about all the voices that did it or, or spoke anonymously, you know, the, um, the report goes out of a uh, out of their way to explain that there was an anonymous tip line and an anonymous email line. Like, how many of those players did we fail? You know, like, and we're never going to know we failed them. And that's what kind of I think breaks me the most about this is that, you know, these are athletes, athletes like people who put their bodies on the line for a paycheck. You know, athletes. You know, if you ever met a retired athlete, not a lot of them talk about having great retirements because they have you know old or injuries and you know two torn ACLs later you, you can't really walk right so like they're putting their bodies on the line for a paycheck how, how do how do we fail them in terms of the basic protections like I don't you know it, it's I think when a report like this comes out we want to blame an individual right we want to find the one person that's the scapegoat because scapegoating the system is really difficult because it's just economies of scale it's easier as human beings to process hatred towards one person than to 50 or so people correct but it's just like, how did, how did no one in, in like, I, I understand that, you know, there were alarm bells that were sounded, but for example, the, the, the story that gets to me is when Paul Riley ascends to the point where he's being discussed as the U S women's national team, possible future head coach. And Portland says, Hey, we've got to come out with this news if that's going to happen because we can't let this happen, but they're perfectly fine with him going to North Carolina. Like we're like, how, how is that? Okay. You know, like, the incidents are still there, but for him ascending to the U.S. Women's National Team coach, that's across the line. But him going to another team in NWSL, okay, we're fine with that. That's okay. Like, how does, did no one look themselves in the mirror and thought, you know, like, 
are we taking crazy pills here? Like, I, I, it just, it blows my mind. Well, and you, you, you look at just the Riley section and how much that front office knew and how much they just swept it under the rug. It took being backed into a corner by this report for Merritt Paulson to be like, oh yeah, I guess I have to fire you guys now. If this report had never come out, I guarantee that Merritt Paulson would have never, ever fired either one of them, would have let them both continue abusing everyone in that organization. He needs to sell that team. The fact that he still owns that team is disgusting. He needs to be out of this sport, out of this league. And I highly encourage all Portland Timbers fans, Thorns fans, everyone in the PDX area to just keep like badgering at this and push and push and push and support your players and believe your players and trust your players and get this guy out of your city. Yeah. And and I think, you know, he is the microcosm of a lot of ownership groups that are, are mentioned in this, you know, I point to the Louisville ownership group that basically refused to cooperate with, with the report. And then Chicago who, you know, they, they talk about how the ownership knew what was going on. Um, obviously these are, um, the, the the report goes to great lengths to say these are three examples, but we know that it exists throughout the league based off the interviews we have conducted and the evidence we've picked up. Um, I I know um, the E60 documentary. You know Lisa Salter does a fantastic job uh, in that in that documentary. I highly recommend you know getting your hands on a copy of it, and I hope uh, ESPN makes it available not behind a paywall. I know it's currently, but um, it, it is. I mean just the reading it's it's kind of like these are no-brainer things right like we as we talked about earlier like the it should be a no-brainer that there's a a human rights or a human uh, a human an hr office or there should be you know like a sexual harassment you know tip line or something like that where it's like these are no-brainer concepts and yet you you read this this report and it's like really like you do feel like almost gaslit in your own way because you're like these are obvious things that you should be thinking about and yet why did you not you know and and then and I know there's there's a lot of, of blame to go around. I mean, there's no question about that. But, you know, this this feels um I don't know if it, I don't know how to exactly describe how this feels in a certain respect. Again, as you mentioned earlier, it's I think there, it isn't surprising, especially with what the um, athletic article and Meg Lenahan did a fantastic job of that last year dug up. But I think what what surprises me is the depth and breadth of exactly what we were dealing with. You know, we, we knew it was three clubs, right? We, we kind of had that understanding, but the fact of the matter is it's, it was so much deeper than we ever could have imagined. And we're talking about not just at the professional level, we're talking at the grassroots level at the, at the youth level. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there's, there's harrowing reports of, you know, high school students dealing with Rory Dames and, and, and his abuses, you know, there's Paul Riley who, who ran a youth Academy, you know, like, it's it i understand it, it frustrates me because you know uh shim talks about um how she went along with a lot of what paul riley was doing because she didn't know if she was gonna have a paycheck otherwise you know she was so desperate for playing time because that keeps the lights on you know and it barely did at that point in time i think she was getting paid like sixteen thousand dollars a year like that's below the poverty line in the united states and i i think it's i i i get frustrated because I get frustrated in general when I when I when I speak about women's sports because I always say I I don't ever distinguish between women's and men's sports. I just call it sport. And 
the problem is we've so systemically devalued women's sports that we've now put these players in a position where they like shim was in and and, and um Sinead was in over at the, at the portland thorns who are kind of the main protagonists of this um this this report we, we we've debased women's sports so much that we now have a position where we're talking about an athlete saying i went along knowing that i was being sexually abused or being verbally abused but I had nothing else because this was my only dream and they had to be okay with like, ha, like a system that allows for this to occur. You almost get so demoralized, right? Like you almost feel like, you know, it, it breaks you in a certain context. One of the things that gets me the most is it's not right to do this to adults either, but the fact that at a youth level, they were calling kids fat, pussies retarded like those are kids and that and that's going to form the way that they think and 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 make them think well that's how you talk to people that's how you you correct somebody is you just verbally assault them and it 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 hurts me to read this that it happened to grown women but it hurts me more when i read the things that these human beings did to children because that's just it's not okay you it, it, it's just feeding into making them think at the adult once they're they're fully developed their brains are developed that it is okay to be berated like that in a way I'm all for yelling as a coach I was a coach for many years you have to yell sometimes you have to raise your voice it in, in, in correction but you have to understand the words that come of your, out of your mouth do affect that person in an incredible way. And so what you say has to be thoughtful. Even if you have to yell it, you have to do it in a thoughtful way. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, you, you point to something that I, I was kind of the, the, the part that kind of, I really, I struggled with, which is the, the, the almost the grooming of it, right. That, you know, young players are compelled from a very young age to accept that abuse, to accept the fact that, you know, but because it's, it's the system that we've built in the United States that's been in existence for years, right? Which is, you know, you play very good at the youth level, you go to a, a travel club or, you know, you know, whatever have you, and then you, you get a D one scholarship and it's, and then, you know, then you, you're going for a professional contract. And because the margins are such that, you know, one misstep, you know, you might miss out on, you know, playing for, I, I don't know, University of Washington or UCLA or USC, you know, like a very big program. You almost have to kind of compartmentalize the abuse. And that's just not acceptable. Like we have to create a system where, you know, these players can, that, that, that one misstep doesn't necessarily require a coach to verbally berate them. And I mean, you know, I, I, when I, when I first stepped into this, you know, I was thinking, you know, oh, verbal abuse, it's, you know, maybe it's just someone raised their voice a little at the wrong time, but just the verbal abuse that's outlined in this, in this findings. I mean, it's, as you said, it's, it's language that's beyond the pale, you know, um, it is, it is things that, you know, are, are just, how can anyone think it's acceptable, you know? And, and that's, that's the other thing that really drives me crazy about this report is reading the Rory Dames section is he's, you know, he's trying to create a boys club, you know, like the old, you know, he's you know, old British boys club, you know, stuff that, you know, you could get away with in like 1960, but, you know, times change and we we become more aware of our implicit, you know, uh, the wrongdoing. And, and I think, 
you know, he just never really wanted to accept that. And, you know, it created some very, really racially tense scenarios at the Red Stars. Um, it created a lot of very wrong uh, scenarios at, at the Red Stars. And, and and I know you'll see the E60 documentary tomorrow. Um, his his interview is, is one of the oddest things I've ever heard. You know, he's starting to justify, you know, everything he did. And it's like, no, you, you, you can't really do that. And even beyond language, um, you know, again, I said, I've only, I'm only through the Riley part, but I did read the executive findings and it's the fact that these, these coaches, and I'm sure several other coaches have severely crossed that player coach relationship into like trying to be buddy, buddy, or, you know, in some cases trying to be sexual but just trying to get to know them on a more intimate level and then using their own personal lives against them in front of an entire team to make them feel like the smallest person in the room. And I, I know we've all done that in like arguments and stuff and it's not, it's not right. But those coaches knew what they were doing they gathered that information and they banked it it wasn't like a heat of the moment I'm angry and I said this it was things that they collected on purpose to be able to use as a sword against a defenseless person with no with no armor and no shield yeah I I think you make a good point about the, the revenge concept that you know Dames and, and Riley and Holly, who who are named in this, but it, this definitely probably happened with other coaches. I mean, obviously, you know what's going on in Orlando with Cromwell, we don't really know. And with Houston as well, you know, again, it's one thing for a coach to get to know a player off the field in order to make them better, right? You know, it's you want to care about them as human beings, your players, but to use and and again, you know, we've all been in arguments where maybe we've we've done it once, right? You know, where it's you know, you you use something against someone that you probably shouldn't have done. You know, I've definitely done it and you know but I knew immediately that it was the wrong thing to do. These coaches just consistently did it, did it with impunity at times. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, one of the lines that, um, you know, that I think uh, is, is telling is uh, the ubiquity of certain kinds of sexist or demeaning remarks is tough coaching, normalized verbal and uh, emotional abuse. Overwhelming numbers of players, coaches, and USS, uh, USSF staff observed that women players are conditioned to accept and respond to abusive coaching behaviors as youth players. By the time they reach the professional level, many do not recognize the conduct as abusive. Notably, Riley and Dames maintain their influence in elite youth soccer programs during their tenures as head coaches in the NWSL. I mean, it's, it's you're grooming these players. That's the only word I can use to describe this. You're grooming these players from when they are, are youth players, being an intimate part of their lives, and then turning that on its head when they get to the professional level and absolutely using it as a sort of Damocles against them. It's just, I, I don't, again, I go back to this humanity concept, right? Where, you know, you and I and any rational human being that's listening to this podcast can look at, you know, kind of pull ourselves out of our ourselves, so to speak, you know, kind of the weird ghost moment and look at an action we've done and say, I should never have done that. That was wrong. Apologize for it, you know, learn from it, et cetera. These coaches and staff members, et cetera, how did they never have that moment? You know, where where it's like, what I'm doing here is wrong, you know, or like when they said something that was demeaning or insulting or, you know, passed over a line, you know, it's kind of like you, you know, never thought to pull the person aside and say, hey, you know, like, 
passion got the better of me or, you know, I didn't know what I was thinking. I apologize. How can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? I, I just, I, it blows my mind that no one looked to themselves in the eye and said, you know, I've, I've overstepped a boundary. And even if there is no harassment, you know, the anti-harassment policy was only inst- instituted in, uh, I believe, 2000, uh, 2018. Even if that doesn't exist, because a lot of this abuse is de- uh, documented before that, you shouldn't need an anti-harassment policy to tell you that, you know, sexual coercion is wrong, right? Like, that's what drives me crazy about this. When I when I read stories about this, regardless of, of industry and field of, you know, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, et cetera, like, how do you, like, when, again, at what point does your humanity kick in? And that's what I think I I, I struggle with, with reading things like this. It's, and look, I don't know these people. I don't know their true hearts now or their thoughts but the way that the report reads is very much um they're not sorry for what they did they're sorry they got caught which to to quickly uh jump in the tone of rory dame's interview in the e60 documentary is very much that that he's not sorry he did what he did he's sorry he got caught He, he uses the term cancel culture at least twice in that i was like okay yep you're sorry you got caught it's, the whole thing is very, um, very uh, reminiscent, similar to the Me Too movement we went through with with Hollywood, you know, a few years back, and and it's the same, right? It was it was these women and and some and sometimes men. I mean, I you know you don't want to exclude that because it definitely did happen to them too. But it was these people who would be pressured into sexual situations or or other things because they were terrified that if they didn't do it this person in power would not only not give them the role but blacklist them in the rest of hollywood say this don't work with this person ever again and end their careers and that's very much what was happening i mean with, with shim you know and everything she would go along with she you know states that if she didn't text him back, her playing minutes were cut. Yeah, and I think she was going along with things. Her playing time increased, and it was very much just a person in power completely abusing and manipulating. And uh, the, like, the I'm I'm so angry right now. Yeah, the the paragraph that I think uh, is kind of damning about about that is. Players were also repeatedly enlisted in the effort to keep the league afloat by protecting it from scandal or were told to be grateful that they had an opportunity to play professional soccer at all. The threat of team or league failure was act, uh, was acute and persistent. The NWSL was the third attempt to field a women's professional league and was established with low capital requirements to ensure the league had eight teams. Many teams deemed to be one bad season away from shuttering. Players were uh, reported being told by federation leadership and certain team owners that the league was not commercially successful enough to warrant further financial investment. And that the only way to ensure the league's survival was for players to support the league. I mean, that it almost still feels like that's true today, doesn't it? it, it I mean, it, it does feel like that's still the case right now in the NWSL. It, yes, I, I, I agree to an extent. I do think um, as far as, as the threatening of the failure of the league, we may have gotten a little bit past that, especially since there have been um you know a handful of expansions in the last few years and um the possibility of 
NWSL to the Bay Area in the next year or two, whatever it was. So I think we we may have gotten past that this league could crumble at any moment, but there is definitely still a holding of of something overheads in order to keep them compliant with everything and not rock the boat, not make waves because it could affect their livelihood. Right. Um, this report does mention Jill Ellis in one section regarding Christy Holly. Um, in terms of that, we've kind of chosen to uh, wait a little bit from a little bit more information from from her and from uh, the ongoing investigations that are currently being held by both NWSL and USSF as to the findings of this report and what uh, what next steps will be taken. Um, the the section is 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 relatively short, so um, we're not exactly sure where the connections are. We're we're working on figuring that out, and um, and we'll we'll. As as the situation uh, continues, we'll definitely have uh, more information. Um, just a quick summary of kind of the fallout of this. Uh, of course, Gavin Wilkinson and Mike Golub have been fired from Thank the Portland God. organization. Um, Arnim Whistler has been removed from the board of directors at the Chicago Red Stars. Um, this is a very fluid situation. It's a uh, it's a situation that is constantly moving, um, and we will constantly be kind of updating as we get information. I guess my final thought on it is this feels like the closing of a chapter of a book and hopefully the next book that we open up is accountability and in a world where a soccer world where these issues are once in a rare moon rather than necessarily, you know, systemic. And I think that's, that's all we can hope for at this point in time. Um, It's definitely, this is a step forward. I think that's, that's for certain. And um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. And, and, and I know, I think a lot of people wanted everything to be answered at the drop of a hat when this report came out. But the problem is there's just so much to unpack. There's no way it could happen that fast. Um, but I think this is a very, a very big step forward. And um, I hope that for a lot of the players that were involved in this, they, they can find that, that closure, um, that peace and, and begin the healing process. Cause I think that's, that's really the big, the big takeaway from this here um, is, is, is just allowing these players to have that closure. Yeah, uh, my final thoughts as we we wrap up this podcast is uh, you you nailed it on the head with the word accountability. I think you know this is a time where we're finally going to start seeing accountability uh, moving forward and consequences for uh, actions. Um, you know, it, I guess you know it, it, I like to always try to find the silver lining in things, and the silver lining is that even though it took all of this to get the wheels turning at least the wheels are now turning and actions are being taken and hopefully this is like you said a a good step for the players to be able to move forward in the next chapter of their careers uh, if they're still playing or former players to just find some sort of peace in knowing that people are finally listening and that they will not be silenced and we will never silence them. And we will always be here to give them a platform and a voice as much as we can in our small little pod here. Yeah. And um, thank you. If you, you toughed it out for this, uh, this long uh, for, for joining us. Um, We wanted to get to the wave, but I think halfway through recording, we kind of decided this is much more important. Um, we will be back next week to preview or uh, re- uh, review uh, the national team games that are coming up against England and Spain. We'll talk about uh, that nil-nil draw against uh, North Carolina 
I'll give you a one word preview or three word preview. It was boring. Um, and uh, we'll begin to talk about the playoffs and, and what this means. And then as, as always, if, if there's anything else that comes out of this, this report, um, we will keep you updated. Uh, so hopefully you'll join us next week for a little bit more. What we hope to be a little bit more lighthearted episode. Um, I know Jamie and I don't like doing these heavy episodes. We've done a couple of them uh, recently with simply soccer and stuff. So uh, we prefer having a little bit of fun here, but unfortunately this was a conversation that we needed to have. And, and, and I think soccer needed to have, um, so please go and uh, give us five stars in your podcast app. We'd really appreciate it because it helps us find awesome people like you. Uh, thank you for listening to Surf Break. My name is Christian Conway, my co-host. Jamie Bacon. We will see you next week and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a little bit more fun to talk about. Still ride the wave, my friends.